0: All right, if you grab your Bibles, we're going to look at uh, looking at Exodus chapter 14. We are picking up the story that we've been following for some weeks, dealing with, starting with the call of Abraham to go into the promised land, and also when Joseph was sold into slavery, we went all through that story with him. We ended up then with Moses at the burning bush, and while he was at the burning bush, the Lord spoke to him about Fulfilling the prophecy of the 400 years of prophecy, given that to lead people out. We talked about the Passover experience and the order of Pharaoh for them to leave once the Passover angel had followed. If you're lost on that, they are online. You can follow the series there. So we are back in Exodus chapter 14. If you could find that, if you have one of our little hard Bibles, it is page 48. So let's pick up the story. They had been traveling. They had been going the pillar of fire at night and the cloud during the day that was guiding them. But then the Lord said something really odd. and He said, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp at Phi Herathidoth and between Megal and the sea. And uh, they are to camp by the sea directly opposite of the site of Baal Zephon. And so they went there. And they were ordered to turn around, and there was a specific reason, you need to follow this, There's a specific reason why they followed it. Today's topic, the today's thing, speaks to what we need to listen, and there are all kinds of hints throughout this entire passage that speak to us today. It may appear that this was thousands of years ago, but it's incredibly relevant for us today. You'll find out as we go. So Pharaoh, verse 3, Pharaoh will think, the Lord said, that the Israelites are wandering around the land confused, hemmed in by the desert, because they are right up against the Red Sea. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. They kind of made this U-turn, kind of making this camp, went over here about... We have talked previously about Pharaoh's heart being hardened by the Lord and what that meant. That's online, but basically it is a way of expressing in Hebrew that Pharaoh himself, when he was presented with the things of God, hardened his own position and went. So when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, of course he knew that, but when he told the consequences of them being fled, consequences of them leaving, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we have lost their services. (laughs) Well, in reality, slave labor is the cheapest kind. You don't have to pay wages, you just beat them hard enough, feed them and that's it. So they had lost out on their economic gain, you see, and now the jobs that they were doing are falling on the Egyptians who had become comfortable to having slave labor. And so it was a serious problem, financial impact. Think of the gross national product being cut back by that terrible loss that had happened And so he had his chariot made ready. He had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. And he took 600 of the best chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. In other words, he had overwhelming force. Overwhelming. He was going to go after making a statement that these poor slaves, and if they tried to have any type of resistance, they would um, buckle them down and wipe them out. So verse 8 says, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh the king of Egypt so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly because they had been sent, remember? They were told to leave and they had left. And it wasn't very long before Pharaoh's army overtook them. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified. Because as they could look out on the desert, they could see the dust. They knew what was coming. They could see Pharaoh's army. And they were absolutely defenseless. You have your flocks. You have your wife. You have your children. Children, you have your grandparents, you have your in-laws. You're trying to take care of everything. You are the most vulnerable. You have nothing, nothing to protect. No fortresses, nothing there, and you literally recognize that you are doomed. There's no way out. You're doomed, and if you resist, if you don't bow down and kneel and take the beating, you're going to be slaughtered, and probably a lot of them would have been slaughtered anyway including Moses and Aaron. I don't know if you remember just a couple years ago, in Hawaii there was a nuclear missile threat, remember that? I have two cousins who are living in Hawaii, and when this alert showed up, when the alert said ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter, this is not a drill. They had minutes. And my cousin started calling his brothers and sisters to say goodbye. I'd never been put in that circumstance. They were doomed. Of course, as you know, that was a huge, horrible mistake. But the people who got the alert on their phone... When it said, this is not a drill. When you're faced with annihilation in moments, it's the most serious time in your life, is it not? And so as Pharaoh was approaching, as he approached, Israelites looked up, they saw them coming, the Bible says, and they cried out to the Lord. Now watch what they say. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And as I look at that, I realize how sobering that is. As they face the threat of annihilation, they're out defenseless. And when they see that, fear is gripping their heart. And they know this is over. All the hopes are going out to the promised land. All the hopes are done. And they cry out and said, we would have rather been slaves. Many in our world would rather be slaves to sin than to enjoy the victory in Christ Jesus. You see... They didn't trust God to save them. They didn't trust Him. Yes, they had had the Passover and they had the order, just as it happened, all those things that had taken place, and they had gone, they had been through the plagues, they had seen how God had taken care of them, but they didn't trust Him. They didn't trust Him with their lives. They said, we'd rather be back. In verse 13, Moses answered the people and said, Do not be afraid. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still." You don't need to get a weapon. You don't need to run like chickens. You don't need to scatter. You don't need to protect. Just stand still and you will see. And why could Moses say that? Because Moses knew God. He knew God. And so he trusted God. You see, he had his faith in God. He trusted in God. Same word in, in Greek is uh, to believe is almost the same. Uh, Always translated to trust. Who shall ever believeth in him? Who shall ever trusteth in him? It's the same word in Greek. Who trusted him? I put my trust in him, Moses, was trusting God to deliver on his promise to them. And how did he do that? Because he knew God. That's why. He knew God's actions. That's why in Hebrews, the great chapter 11, on the Hall of Faith, chapter we had... There was several things that, by faith Moses, by trust Moses, acted, back to chapter 14 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? (laughs) Tell the Israelites to move on. Yeah, like where? This is a picture of the uh, Red Sea. And they were camped down here, see? So where are they going to go? Move on, the Lord said. Move on. <laughs> no time to make boats. No time to have swimming lessons. No time to learn how to float. No place. Ellen White makes a comment that I just, I just wish I would always remember. She said, the Lord has a thousand ways to solve our problem of which we have never thought a thousand ways because God is not limited by our dimension. No one would have ever thought what God was going to do. No one would have ever looked and said that. Moses had no clue what was going to happen. He just trusted God would somehow take care of him and take care of Israel. Well, the rest said, we'd rather be slave than slaughtered. I understand that sentiment. But move on. Like where? Where are we supposed to go? And then the Lord said to Moses, raise your staff. Now, the staff, if you recall, the staff was the very staff that Moses had at the burning bush. Remember that? He had the burning bush, and he took it. You can see it there laying by his side in that photo. At the burning bush, he was... This is not an actual photo. They didn't get a good picture of it. This is a painting. But he had that staff. This is the one that he tossed and turned into a snake. Remember? This is the one he took into Pharaoh's court and did the same thing, showed the signs with the staff. It's the one who touched the water. It's the very same staff. It was a symbol, a symbol of God's power. It was the dynamic, the visual... The the metaphor would say, this is the power of my God. And when he would use the staff, they would see that the power of God take place. It was not that there was anything magical in the staff. It was a symbol of the great power of God. And they could see. And so he raised the staff. He raised the staff. Stretch out your hand, the Lord said, to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on what? Dry ground the Bible says. And a great east wind came and it won down through that channel through the sea and it went through and it dried up the land, dried up the seabed so that they could go across. And they stepped through the water. Their flocks, their, cher- their things that they had, their carts, their flocks, Everything began to move through that with the water piled up on either side. I'm going to skip down to chapter, uh, verse 23. You can read the other there, but in our limited time. Down to verse 23. And then the Lord was keeping them hidden. He hid them with a cloud they couldn't see. But when the cloud lifted and they could see, Israel was going across the Dead Sea. The Bible says that the Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and the horsemen followed them into the sea. And during verse 24, And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud in the Egyptian army and threw them into confusion and their wheels got mired, and, they, and they, were, they needed to turn around because someone had finally said, perhaps this is not a good idea. As they saw the water up. What's holding the water up? And so as they went through, they began to turn around and said, perhaps, perhaps we should uh, rethink this. And they started to turn their chariots around, trying to get that massive thing to turn around in that bed. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Now imagine you're standing on the shore on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. And the Egyptian army is coming across to take you back. And you see them trying to turn around. You see the confusion. You see the rethinking. And you see Moses standing, lifting again the staff. And the water came back together. And Pharaoh and the Egyptian army... We're no more. We know historically that this Pharaoh is missing and the in the lineage there in Egypt. Not found. I also understand that in the sea they have found the chariots down at the bottom. I understand that. I don't know. I haven't been there. I haven't seen it, but I understand. So you're standing there. You see this. Your mouths are hanging wide open. As you've watched this rescue of God in a way you never ever would have dreamed. And there you're seen, and all of a sudden the water's gone, and your enemy, the one who is going to crush you, is no more. As you're standing there, dead bodies begin to flood to the shore, and you're seeing how the hand of God has done to rescue you. Chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord, the song of Miriam. Both the horse and the driver he has hurled into the sea. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. That, and you can read the rest of it there. So do you see this now? The, the army has been destroyed. You have been rescued at the last moment. You realize the hand of God has protected you. He even has said, and listen to you say, I would rather be a slave, Magnesia," but God has bigger plans for you. And he took the people over there, and they're standing, looking around, and they watched this incredible event take place in front of them. And what is their response with their eyes wide open and their mouths hanging open, all of a sudden they began to sing praises to God. Can you imagine what their voices together in that vast multitude of people would be singing in praises to God because he had rescued them, that gratitude that they were showing in their music, and you can see there, the words there, the gratitude that they had showed must have been huge. What a day. What a day of rejoicing that would have been. Paul refers to that moment as their baptism. They were baptized. Going through the river. John was baptized in the Jordan River just a short time ago. So were several others. But that's not all. That's not all. I want you to follow this now, because it's, it's really crucial. You have that story, you have that in your mind, keep it there. And we want to look at what John on the Isle of Patmos said at th- in the book of Revelation. Would you turn to Revelation 15? So Exodus 15 goes with Revelation 15. Okay. That's the way I remember it. Exodus 15 goes with Revelation 15. He's on the island of Patmos. And he's beginning to share through his prophetic book, he's beginning to share, looking into the future of what is going to happen. Look at this closely. Revelation chapter 15 and we'll begin with the first verse. I, John, saw in heaven another great, marvelous sign. Seven angels with what? The seven last plagues. Why? We had plagues in Egypt prior to the rescue. Here are the seven last plagues. Last, because God's wrath is complete. He's done, He's through, He's put up with it long enough. And I saw, as I looked, like a sea. What's that? A sea, red sea. I see a sea glowing with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image. Those who had been victorious... Those who accepted Christ's sacrifice for themselves, those who had taken and followed Christ, and they said, and they held harps given to them by the Lord, given to them by God, and they sang, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and the Lamb, reference of course back to the song that was sung on the side of the Red Sea. These folks are standing victorious on a sea, the sea with fire, and they're standing there and God gave them harps and they began to sing. The same exact picture, only this is the end of the world. Now what do they sing? They proclaim and they say, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of all nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name, the Bible says, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And I just look at that, look at the parallelism, look at how it indicates why the story that happened to the Israelites at the Red Sea is being repeated at the end of the world with the same sort of picture. When we think all is lost, when we think we're at the end of the rope, when we think we're going to be doomed... as it were, the King of Glory returns. Instead of dividing the waters, he divides the sky. And we sing. You can learn that song. I don't know the tune, but you can learn that song and be prepared to be ready when he comes. It is the song of the redeemed. We sing, I sing how I love to proclaim it, but on that day when you realize you are rescued, a brand plucked from the burning, on that day, my brothers and sisters, someday we are really going to sing. It'll be a song like we have never sung before. There are some songs that I sing and I rejoice and I praise God with it and I'm filled with it. But it does not have the same power in the ring that it will be when we recognize that we have been redeemed. Tucked and put out at the last moment when Christ will come and take us home. And that feeling that Israel had when they realized the armies of Pharaoh were no more that they had been saved, they couldn't help but their hearts burst with joy, and rejoicing that they had been saved at the last moment. Talk about the feeling of gratitude, of rescue. We will have the same only on a huger extent. And we'll see the graves open, and the dead in Christ rise. Someday, soon, we're going to sing. We're going to sing. We're going to sing, sing, sing. And our hearts filled with incredible, grateful joy and worship to our King who is taking us home. What a day of rejoicing that will be. It's hard for us to imagine that, but you don't really get it until you experience it. Until you experience it, I thank you, Lord, for that picture that you gave to us out of the Exodus, fourteen and fifteen. That pic- picture of you rescuing Israel from the Red Sea and for out of Pharaoh's harms. And as the people, they sang. Their first response was to sing praises and joy to you because you had saved them and rescued. And we look forward there. Lord, that was just an antitype of what is coming at the end of the world when you will step forward. And oh, we are going to sing. Oh, we are going to sing. I thank you, Lord. God bless us through your power. Amen.